1: A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
0: Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus, starting at $3 a month. because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me as I am back from vacation this week is Will Miles. You can find him at his site, ReadReaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. And, Will, I, I couldn't part with the vacation, man. Uh, it still feels like sunblock and all that stuff but uh, i'm still in a uh uh, i went back to work today but still in a a vacation state of mind it's gonna gonna take a while to get back to normal
1: yeah let's be honest you went back to work today but nothing got done like, uh, that's the way that sort of works. We all understand it. The funny part is, is that, you know, my first thought was you've got that new opening now to, to the podcast. I'm like, you go away for a week and yet you still find a way to do something different innovate, which is, uh, you know, it's impressive, man, considering how much time this takes. So glad you were able to sort of unplug for a week. Saw a few pictures from you on Twitter, but sort of left you alone. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you're recharged, ready to go, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, post much, but, you know, just... Let, let everybody see what was going on there but i tried to stay off uh social media all that stuff as much as possible uh and all that stuff enjoy enjoy the time away of course and that, that's exactly what it was but uh then come home sunday night around midnight freaking ac is out so in the house so people you might hear bugs in the background you might hear a, a ceiling fan over the microphone uh it's a little bit heated in my house right now uh uh, attitude wise and, uh, and, and physically, wise, physically well.
1: Well, so what I was going to say is, is did one of the Gators breakdown fans do this to try to make you go back to Jamaica? Cause that's been the joke for the last week is how do we get you to stay down there? Cause people are committing and, you know, all of a sudden recruiting momentum starting. I mean, we got a kicker named smack. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of stuff coming the Gators way at this point. There was, they were taking up a GoFundMe to get you back to Jamaica, man.
0: <laughs> uh, i'll take it i'll take it we can make that work. we can make that happen somehow but uh, uh but yeah glad to be back glad to be back glad to be back uh on the saddle here with an episode of Gators breakdown there and uh this is what i've been wanting to do for a while when i think it was when uh you nick and i were on about uh three weeks month or so ago and i you know i was got thinking about some of the transfers from florida and you know i was just rattling them off in my head during that episode and i was just like man there's there's a lot of transfers Florida's going to be relying on. You know, and, and w- the way we look at it here, it's not going to be transfers that are just coming in for this season. It's been transfers that Florida's accumulated uh, over the last couple seasons uh, heading in for 2021. We already know all the transfers who have made dividends, paid dividends uh, for Florida since Dan Mullins has been here uh, and going on to have successful careers and really helped this Gator team in his first three seasons. But, well, there's a high number of transfers that are going to be – contributors this year for, for for the Gators there so we'll get into to all that all that transfer talk there but um, everybody if uh we're trying to start something new if you're listening to Gators Breakdown out there and you're on social media look post a picture you know take a screenshot uh, take a picture of your radio or whatever sh- share it out there on social media uh, I'll you know I'll sit there and I'll, I'll share it retweet it uh, or whatever that'd be something cool to tell everybody out there no uh that you're listening to Gators Breakdown and get the get the show more popular uh out there among uh Gator Nation and remember you can find Gators Breakdown on your favorite podcast platform or news 4 slash Gators Breakdown so all right well let's get into uh, talking some football here transfer talk here we might get into the new commits uh, here toward the end of the, the episode here but uh, uh kind of late on that so we'll see if we can swing around uh for that one but we'll six on offense, five on defense that the, that will be heavy contributors, I think, for the Gators. And then you also get your kicker, uh, Jace Christman, who's going to be transferring in from Mississippi State uh, this fall. But, well, man, I mean, it's – the world of college football is changing. Uh, you know, transfer market is here to stay. Um, the you know, name, image, and likeness is going to play a part in this too. If a guy doesn't like where they're at to begin with, they might be a pretty popular player, but they might see more – Uh, of a of an avenue to make more of a name for themselves at a school like Florida or Georgia or Miami because they're in South Florida or USC because they're in LA Uh, they're you know transfer portal here to stay Uh, Dan Muller's taking advantage of it but it has changed college football as we know it coaches probably don't like it all much roster management is going to be crazy to the NCAA figures out what they want to do with the 85 man scholarship limit and how you can bring players in and out and how quickly you can replace them under a certain number threshold still even though it's been there for a few years whether I think there's still a lot of questions regarding the transfer portal and transfers coming in on your roster.
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting. I think Mullen was actually ahead of the curve when it came to using the transfer portal. You think about Van Jefferson, you think about Trevon Grimes, um, some of those guys that he brought in initially and got more than one year out of each of those players, right? And so was able to convert – get a guy walking in day one who is going to contribute, but not just contribute for one season, contribute for multiple seasons. And Mullen's not the first coach to do that, but he is sort of the first coach at a major college blue blood program, I think, to start stringing those things together and really rely on those transfers to sort of fill gaps in recruiting classes. And, you know, this year is sort of the culmination of all that, right? I mean, you got all the transfers that we're going to talk through who are going to have to come in and be major contributors. And some of that is because some of the guys who've transferred in haven't been contributors yet. And so, you know, we're going to see that. Some of it is we've got guys who have contributed a little bit, but, you know, need to take the next step to make it to the NFL. Um, and then some guys who are actually transferring in this year for the first time. And, and there's still some expectation that they're going to contribute as well. But you're right about it changing the college football landscape. And, um, you know, the only place that doesn't really seem to be changing at all that much is places like Alabama and, and Clemson and Ohio State. You, you don't really see a lot of consternation there. Um, but in terms of roster building it's a new way to build a roster a different way to build a roster and a way to build a roster where if you've got you know if you've got shortcomings in recruiting if you've got areas where you need to cover up something where you've had injuries where you've had transfers where you've had attrition then this is one way to do it
0: yeah and i mean that's been the, the yeah i'm glad you said that about muller and it being very uh, kind of ahead of the curve a lot of people are now going about it, and I remember Georgia fans basically saying, "Oh, we don't have to rely on the transfer portal so much." Well, they're 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 doing it too, even though as good as they recruit on the surface and recruiting rankings and looking and all that. JT Daniels, transfer at quarterback. They had to basically rebuild their defensive backfield through transfers this past uh, that the going into twenty twenty one as well. So you're starting to see, you know, even the major programs that we sit here and say recruit well, uh, having to go and, and fill in for, with the transfer portal as well. So it's definitely here to stay. It's going to change college football as we know. It's going to be weird. Will. I mean, we, we got it with Jonathan Grenard, you know, sitting there looking at players that you're only going to root for for one year. And you hope that one year is a memorable year. Uh, but it's kind of like college basketball in a way. If you sit there and look at it and it, 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 it changed the way you root for teams when the guy's not going to be there for three or four years. And now you're just going to, you're going to root for a team. You're going to have these basically one-year rental players. Uh, and, you know, Jonathan Grenard is basically the biggest example and best example of that for the Gators.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think as long as it's only a player or two, that's not a huge deal. The right. problem in college basketball is that it sometimes it'll be all five, right? <laughs> you get five guys come in, they stay for a year, and then they're all gone. And so there's no there's no ability to build a, a rapport. There's no ability to look at a guy's stats and see how he's improving. There's no real way. And this is maybe the downside. So the upside of the transfers is, is that Mullen can use it to build his roster and plug holes. The downside is, is if you think that one of Mullen's greatest strengths is his ability to develop players, you if you only got a guy for a year, you don't really get an opportunity to see the full value of developing somebody over a three or four year period. So yeah, there's going to be
0: better be those one year players better be guys like Jonathan Gennaro is to impact.
1: Well, and that that's actually the thing that I think is going to be interesting about this year. You know, you're going to go down the list of players, I'm sure, in a few minutes. We're going to talk about each of them, but what you do when you bring in a transfer is you're bringing in a guy who count who counts against your 85 man scholarship limit but also counts against the 100 initial counters that you get over a four year period and typically that's not a huge deal for a transfer or two because if you think about it like your recruits maybe pan out at a 40 or a 50% rate overall If if you're a blue blood blood program, you know, 40 or 50% of those guys you bring in are going to end up being starters or at least major contributors. You look at a transfer, though, that means because he's essentially taking up two initial counters, right? I mean, he comes in and he's not part of your recruiting class, so you're adding him and that kind of takes away a recruit. You got to hit at a higher rate on those guys. And, And Mullen has shown a proclivity thus far to be able to hit on those guys. But we'll see whether that continues as the number gets more and more, because obviously, as the as recruiting goes away from just being a high school activity now you got to have the resources you got to have the guys out there you got to have the coaches watching the film in order to break down guys from other schools and so you know i am i do start to wonder how thin your program will get stretched if you have to evaluate all of college football your own team and high schools as well when you're trying to when you're trying to build your roster
0: yeah, and basically keep recruiting the guys you have so they don't leave. <laughs> as you kind of say, as you look at your team, I mean, that's probably going to be – you're going to have to recruit your own team for, for uh, your guys that maybe are not getting play in time, guys that need to develop and may want to just take the easy way out and go find somewhere else to play or go fight to – I mean, look, I'm not going to fault a player for going try and trying and better themselves and go play. That's just, you know, the route. I mean, we put it this way. We don't mind when Florida gets transfers. so you can't sit here and, and, and look at it the other way and say, "Well, that guy didn't want to compete or anything. Look, we have no problem taking transfers. We shouldn't have a problem guys leaving either and trying to better their situation. So, um, No, but
1: I, I think it, do, it does change the way you build your roster. I know yeah. last year I said this, and I think I've said it more recently as well, is that one of the real values that Florida got out of Kyle Trask is that he was willing to sit on the bench for three or four years before he got an opportunity. And so I do wonder whether that's some of the logic in bringing in a guy like Jalen Kitna, right? That if you end up with an injury if you end up with a quarterback who doesn't pan out if you end up with a guy transferring you would normally have a hole but because you brought in a guy like kitna who essentially you have said come to a big time program but know that you're going to be behind anthony richardson carlos del rio those sorts of things you know because you've essentially that's the promise you made right is that you're going to get an opportunity but you're going to have to outwork those guys and you're coming in with those guys that the the eyes for someplace else for a guy like Kitna or even like a guy like Trask, right? I mean, where was Trask going if he didn't know the transfer portal before he played in 2019? And and so, you know, one of the things, (laughs) I wrote an article a couple of weeks, well, a couple of months ago now called the 5-3 theory. And it was basically saying that recruiting because of the percentages of guys who get in the NFL, that the best way to maximize your recruiting dollars was to focus on bringing in high, high high-level five-star talent, and then don't worry about the rankings for guys basically 100 and below. Recruit the guys who want to come to Florida, recruit the guys who are close to home, but don't spend a ton of resources on those guys because their conversion into NFL players is essentially the same percentage once you get past about 150 in the overall recruiting rankings. So it's the guys in the top 50 who who are really the difference makers. And I think you can start to think about that right you bring in guys who are ranked in the 800 to 1200 range it's not really much different than bringing a guy who's ranked 300 to 500 but it may be that you don't have to work as hard to keep him on your roster I do wonder whether teams are going to start to do that a little bit more almost looks like Florida State's doing it this year when you look at their their roster build they've got probably I think three or four guys who are in the top 50 top 60 and then everybody else is ranked like 600 and below and and I'm not sure they're doing it intentionally, but I think that's actually a smart way to go if you think you're gonna have attrition and you think you're gonna have problems with guys who come in and are gonna wanna start right away. And that if you try and if they have things that need to develop and you try to develop them, that they're gonna leave before you ever actually get to see the fruit of all that development that you and the hard work you've put into them.
0: Yeah, that's another thing that's uh we're going to be relying on the transfer portal a lot, too, coming up in 2021. But let's get to the Gators, uh, who are going to be, um, you know, this list here coming up. I'm mean, tell it goes about 11 deep, Will, when you start looking at offense and defense. It's not counting Jace Christman here. 11 players that Florida, um, you know, more so – And there are different levels uh, to these players of how much they'll contribute, but a lot of these are going to be big-time contributors, contribute a lot to this Gator team. Uh, So, you know, 11 Gators, six on offense, five on defense. I'll list the offense ones here. First, Will, Lorenzo Lingard, Demarcus Bowman, two five-star running backs coming through the transfer portal. Justin Shorter, wide receiver, five-star. There he goes. He was a transfer. Jordan Pouncey. Transferred in from Texas, at wide receiver there. So that's why I said there's different levels there. We'll see. We'll get into to all that. And then Stuart Reese and Gene DeLance uh, transfers as well. Uh, DeLance has been here for a while, but still a transfer uh, when you look at it. So those are the ones uh, on offense. You shift to the ones on defense. Britton Cox, Daquan Newkirk, Antonio Shelton, three guys up front there that transferred in to Florida. Going to be heavily relied on on that defense. The front, the one Black. Of course, his is a little bit different. JUCO transfer, committed back to the Gators a few years ago, but still transfer. Only got to play one year JUCO since there was no JUCO ball in 2020. Still the transfer. And then uh, uh, Perkins as well, that was his teammate there, uh, just transferred in, just got to campus this week for, for, for Florida. Uh, so you looking at him. And then maybe we'll – and I put this one in question marks. We'll see what happens with Elijah Blades. And know people have been almost thinking for two weeks he was going to be uh, the Gator. So we won't really include him here on the conversation. Maybe we can pick him back up later uh, there. But, I mean, there we go, 11 players that are going to be ch- – you know, contrib- big time contributors here uh, for the Gators, and well, we'll, we'll. I mean, look, I knew there were a few, I, and, and I didn't realize just going until I went through the roster that there were going to be this many transfers that are going to be big-time contributors in 2021. They'll play – you know, should, could, will play major roles in in 2021. Uh, And, look, not many are predicting – kind of going to your point earlier, not many are predicting Florida to contend for the SEC this season, but if it happens and with this amount of transfers, you might see some more teams try and take a route like this. You know, if this works out well for Florida and Dan Mullen and he makes up for some of the recruiting deficiencies he has through the transfer portal – you might see some teams look at this and we'll, I mean, the, the, big thing is and we'll get into these kind of some of these players singly here, but look, some of this is out of necessity for, for Dan Mullen.
1: Yeah. I mean, so obviously we haven't had a difference maker at running back. in a, Um, you know, Lamichael P Ram was a good player. Jordan Scarlett was a good player. None of those guys were really, uh, uh uh unbelievable player you look at lingard and bowman if bowman wasn't here i would expect lingard to be a starter or at least i would hope that he's going to be a starter now i'm sitting there going well maybe it's a two-headed monster back there maybe we're talking about moving malik davis out into the slot right somebody who was an all all sec freshman player and malik davis suffered injuries a couple of times but still a really good player you look at guys like shorter a five-star wide receiver played a lot last year um, recent Delance played a lot the only guy really you would say nah, maybe he's not going to be a starter is Pouncy on yeah. the offense out of the guys that you listed there you know when we list wide receivers we look we get to Trent Whittemore gets Xavier Henderson we get to Jacob Copeland well before we get to get to Pouncey so pouncys is maybe the one guy who doesn't contribute that much but again I'm a big special teams guy if you've got a guy who can return punts you got a guy who can return kicks and take that out of Guys like, you know, you don't want Copeland returning kicks unless he's just unbelievable at it. It was it was one of the things I thought was a little bit concerning last year was that they had Kadarius Tony returning kicks because, you know, he obviously was so valuable on the offensive side. You wouldn't want to get him dinged returning a kickoff. So, um yeah, I mean, they're they're relying on a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball. Um and, and they're guys who've already started games for them, right? I mean Reese and Delance and Shorter are guys who've already started. If Bowman can step in or if Linger can step in and really be um difference makers, then that obviously makes a difference. But you know, when you're putting four guys four or five guys out there who are starters on the offensive side who are transfers, it does say something about um, you know, both the level of competition, but then also the way they've utilized the transfer portal.
0: Yeah, well, so you know, and for Lingard and Bowman, you know, they've relied on these guys to fill that gap in recruiting r- r- running backs out of high school. That's just uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of running backs recruited out of high school, and part of it is because you you got Lingard Le- 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 and, and Bowman, uh, pretty good inclination that you, those guys were probably going to come. And look, Greg Knox, I know he gets slammed for the recruiting a little bit sometimes it went higher than him and I then not to chase some running backs early on in the recruiting process. So not all on him. Um, as far as running back recruiting goes, if you want to slam him for, for a lot of it, not all his fault there. Uh, even, even some of the guys that the fan base wanted, you know, Mullen didn't necessarily want as a running back recruit. And Greg Knox was well, a lot in, in really good shape uh, there and, and, you know, chasing those guys on the recruiting trail, uh, they did end up getting these guys through the transfer portal. though. So, well, with these two guys, you, you kind of group the running back group in two groups. You know, it's the three guys that saw much of the action last year with Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, and Naquan Wright. Uh, and from gauging the fan base, it seems like most want to see more of Wright out of that group. But then the other group is the two transfers and then living up to that five-star potential. Uh, there and yes, the offensive line uh, plays a part in this, but you know, Florida needs more home run threats at running back, and that's something I harped on a lot last year. And you know, that's what these transfers can bring more so than that other group. Uh, we've seen a few flashing from Pearson Davis dating back, uh, you know, early in their careers, but that threat was pretty much non existent last season in explosiveness, home run type of uh, runs. You know, I love the well roundedness of right, but I still don't see a you know, consistent home run threat like we potentially want to see from Lengard and Bowman and what we think they can bring to the table. Now, look, of course, these these guys have to do their part too. Well, you know, last season, Lingard was coming off injuries at Miami, having to learn the, the Florida playbook and to, and to get on the field. That last part still has to happen. You know, this staff has shown plenty of times you better be able to be to, to, to do pretty much everything as of you – before you get on the field consistently. You know, Bowman has to bounce back from a minor knee injury he suffered in spring. But the early returns uh, were, were good before we heard about that injury. You know, can these guys get the playbook down? Can they pass protect? Can they catch out of the backfield? All that will get them, uh, will get them on, the fa- on the field faster and more. So the run game will be better, of course. We've talked about that plenty of time with, with the shift into a quarterback that can run, this all- run inside of the offense. Uh, but the question still remains – Will the staff trust the newer guys, Lingard and Bowman, for them to get enough carries? You know, there, there's five guys here, but there are only two I see with potential in helping this offense become more explosive, even with the changing offense on the ground, and that that's the two transfers here. So I know the staff's loyal to older players, and. You know, these guys, to know completely what they're doing out there, they, they they have to do that. But I think at some point you just have to let speed and explosiveness take over, find a way to get the ball uh, into their hands, get them on the field. And I'm not uh, saying uh, abandon Damian Pierce or, or Davis and Wright. Those guys still have their role in this offense too. But you know, these transfers at running back need the ball. They they need the ball for the run game to be more explosive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh... – what, what you're going to find is that the guys who excel in picking up the playbook and being able to play pass protection are the guys who are going to play. That's sort of Ben Mullen's MO, is that you've got to pick up those sorts of things before he's going to put you in the game. I remember, I think it was 2018, um, Jordan Scarlett or maybe, yeah, it was, I think it was 2018 that Scarlet wasn't playing initially, and then you could see that he had made strides in terms of his ability to pick up pass protection, and that's when he started to get into the games. Um, the guy, so I actually would be okay with less Damian Pierce and less Naquan Wright. I think Pierce is a good player. I think he's proven that he can be somebody who can carry the ball an awful lot, but he's not somebody who's going to necessarily break things. Naquan Wright only averaged 3.9 yards per, per rush last year. There were a, a lot of shifty plays, but those were offset by plays where he was tackled for a loss. And really, you know, when when the offensive line wasn't able to put something perfect in front of him, he struggled. The guy I think we should look out for is Malik Davis. There was a lot of talk last year that he was starting to look like the Malik Davis of 2017 when he averaged 6.7 yards per rush. He only averaged 4.7 last year, but he caught 31 balls. And I do wonder, you know, so if you look at the freshman All-SEC players that Florida's had since 2016 – Juan Taylor, Jabari Zaniga, C.J. Henderson, Marco Wilson, Malik Davis, Trey Dean, and Kyrie Elam—all those guys who are no longer on the roster have all made it to the NFL and were all reasonably high draft picks. So Henderson was picked in the first round, Taylor was in the second, Zaniga was in the third, Marco Wilson was in the fourth. All of those guys contributed significantly. Now you could argue whether whether Wilson and and uh, and Zuniga's contributions were extraordinary, but a lot of that was Zuniga being hurt. But that's sort of the thing. I think people overlook Malik Davis and his ability to contribute because basically the the point is that when you make an all-SEC freshman team, that kind of prepares you for eventually making an all-SEC team or even an all-America team. That's why Kyrie Elam's on the list to make the all-America team this year is because he he started out as a freshman all-SEC, then he was all-SEC second team last year, and everybody sort of expects him to take that next step. So... Well, if, before, you you move know, home, before you move on, that was with an awful offense and him getting injured
0: early in November. So he basically didn't even play the whole last month of the season and was still named to that team.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I look at it and I say, that guy's got some talent, assuming that he's been able to get past all of his injuries. Um, this, again, since he's gotten healthy, this is his first full off season. So you wonder whether the spring and the fall practices are really going to help him more than anybody. And then he is – I think he's more explosive than people think he is. I just don't know that he had the opportunity to show it last year only getting 66 carries. Now, that might be a problem again this year too, right, because Bowman and Lingard are going to start to siphon carries off of people. But that's sort of why I go back to the initial thing that I said, which is that if you're going to siphon carries off of people, siphon them off of Wright and siphon them off of Pierce because I think Davis still has the opportunity to help you both in the running game but also bringing him in on third down and giving him the opportunity to, to make plays through the air. Um, he's already shown a proclivity to do that and a larger ability to do that, I would say, than Damian Pierce, and and I think the Naquan right as well. Well,
0: I got some stats for you for that one then. And These are pretty eye-opening going back to last year. You know, I, I harped on it every week. We were here on the podcast about explosive runs, and just we couldn't even count any. Uh, so we all know Florida didn't run a lot because of how successful the pass game was and the passing attack, and we know they struggled mightily when they tried to run the ball and the explosiveness lacked there. Malik Davis led the way with, r- with runs of at least 20 yards. The problem is there were only three. <laughs> but, you know, of at least 20 yards, he had, th- he had three of them. One versus old Miss for 23 yards, and then a 24 and a 39-yarder versus LSU. Damien Pierce only had one run all season long. That was twenty. That was at least twenty yards. That was a thirty-eight yarder versus Kentucky, and right. That was that
1: was like a cutback too, where where sort of the whole offensive line drove everybody to one side. He was able to cut back the other side,
0: right? And then Naquan Wright only had a twenty-six yarder, and that was in the last game of the season versus Oklahoma. So that's what Bowman and Lingard must bring to the table. Yes, the offense is going to change, but so uh, definitely different than what it was last year, Uh, but. You know, that tells you right there. I know the offensive line was a problem, and that, you know, I probably put it more on them than I do these running backs, but still better players can can elevate the player the play of the players around them. And I think, you know, Emory Jones can make something happen when he was in the game. And, like, I know it's different. He's quarterback and all that. But he can make something happen a little bit more behind this offensive line, more so than these running backs could. We saw Kadarius Toney pop some big runs as well from, you know, his sweeps in there. So, you know, there, there are ways to make this happen. But – it starts with these running backs as well. And Malik Davis was the only one last year with only three r- runs of at least 20 yards, but two more more so than the other guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, now the problem is when you got three runs of 20 yards or more, and then you've only got and then you got 63 other carries, yeah. what did you do with the other 63? Yeah. And, th- and that's probably the thing that you look at and say, okay, what happened to those other 63 when you're doing the evals? But um, again, I mean, DeMarcus Bowman has an unbelievable pedigree. But he hasn't done anything on a college football field yet. Yep. Lorenzo Lingard has an unbelievable pedigree, but he really hasn't done very much on a on a college football field yet. And so, while I remain incredibly optimistic that those guys are going to be able to contribute, I'm also not naive enough to think that they're not going to make mistakes along the way. And so, when you have week three against Alabama, and you need to make, and you think Nick Saban may bring a blitz. Who are you going to trust to have in there as you're running the play? Like, do you want Emory Jones with happy feet because he's not sure his freshman running back's going to pick or his sophomore running back's going to pick up the blitz? Or do you have the guy? Malik Davis or Damian Pierce, the the upperclassmen in there who maybe isn't the same threat when it comes to being a home run, but is going to make sure that Emory Jones doesn't fumble it and allow the ball to go the other way because he gets blindsided. So that that's the balance you have to, you have to play unless these guys pick things up so quickly that there is no difference in terms of having somebody like Malik Davis, Damian Pearson and DeMarcus Bowman. If Bowman proves that he has the ability to pass protect, then he's a three down running back. And the the reality is, is when you're that talented if you know the scheme, you know how to you know how to pick up pass protection and and you can catch the ball out of the backfield, there's really no reason to bring in anybody else other than to keep you healthy. And so so, you know, that that I think is a best case scenario for the Gators and for Gator fans is if DeMarcus Bowman proves himself to be a three down back, and then you've got guys like Lingard Davis and and then Pierce and and Wright sort of sp- spelling him in order to make sure he stays healthy for Alabama, Georgia, and LSU.
0: Yep, yep. So I, I still think the explosive comes from the two transfers. That's why I think you know it's worth looking up from them because just not you know besides Malik Davis, I'm not sure where else it comes from besides those two transfers. If we're using last year as an example and um, going by this, so all right. Wide receivers, we know shorter and Pouncey are the two wide receivers there that are transfers as well. Shorter, second leading returning seat receiver behind Jacob Copeland. Uh, showed flashes of brilliance last year. Will and we talked about this, you know, a couple months ago when we went over the wide receiver group. And but now, you know, it's more he'll be tasked with consistency. You know, he's he's supposed to be elevating his play now in his second year uh, in this offense. And, and look, last year, you know, you had it with Pitts, Tony, and Grimes. Now those guys are gone. Now, with his size, he's probably gonna be asked to do some of the things Pitts did. We all know that's a lot to ask and and it's hard to come anywhere close to Kyle Pitts level. But with a five star recruit status like Lingard and Bowman, you know, the expectation is to play at a high level. No matter if you transfer from Penn State or not. You were a five star recruit. Eventually, you know, you need to show so that you can play play like it. And Another full year with Billy Gonzalez should help Shorter. Uh, and, look, with Pouncy, you know, not sure how he fits in behind, as you brought it up earlier, Will, um, Copeland, Shorter, Henderson, Whittemore. But we saw last season how Florida would, pl- would platoon uh, a second unit uh, into the game at, at points at wide receiver. So maybe he could be in that second grouping there. Uh, did catch a touchdown versus Oklahoma in the last game of the season last year, so maybe something to build on uh, there. But, you know, there are two transfers right there, and as I said, you know, Especially at wide receiver, you can definitely see the difference of levels there of expectation through transfers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Shorter actually is going to be a really good test case for Billy Gonzalez in terms of his ability to develop these transfers. I hadn't really thought about it until we started talking about this tonight, but if you look back at Van Jefferson, I mean, he was really good year one, and then he was just about as good year two. I don't know that there was a huge progression from year one to year two. I'd have to go back and look at the stats. I know that's true about Trevon Grimes. I mean, basically, it felt like he was the same player year one, year two, year three. And that's not to say that that they weren't each good players and that they weren't each effective for Florida, but I didn't see a huge progression. And so Shorter, I think, is the guy who maybe. You know we're going to need to see a progression this year because there's an opportunity to step up. You know you think about Grimes, think about Jefferson, they were obviously sharing reps. You look at Shorter now, he's going to have an opportunity. He's going to be one of the main starters out there, and it, it'll be interesting to see whether he's able to able to really step that up. Now obviously a lot of that relies on on Emory Jones as well, right? I mean when you've got Kyle Trask throwing to you, it's it's different than Emory Jones. We'll see whether Jones is better or worse, but it's going to be different. And so a lot of the success of those wide receivers is probably going to be tied to the guy throwing them the ball, not just necessarily their ability to get off of coverage and get open. But, you know, in college football, really what it boils down to is when you get a one-on-one matchup, can you get separation? Can you catch the ball when you settle in a zone? And when you get past somebody, can you catch the ball? I think Shorter has shown that he can shake off a guy in one-on-one coverage and I think the areas to improve are the zone and then those deep balls. I mean, the game game, game is Oklahoma. I think he dropped two passes. There were deep throws in that game. Um, you know, I can recall other times that the ball was was on target and didn't necessarily get brought in. So those sorts of things are going to have to be fixed. But, you know, you anticipate that's the type of stuff they've been working on all offseason. And that, uh, you know, Gonzalez is one of the best in the business when it comes to getting these guys into the pros. Obviously, it's, you know, Everybody last year said, oh, you got to replace a bunch of wide receivers, and all of a sudden Florida's offense was even more potent. (laughs) I'm not sure it's necessarily going to be more potent this year, but I don't think I'm going to be counting on the wide receivers to take that big a step back just because of the sort of the culture that they built there. Yeah, but
0: I think it's a lot of beating. If the the run game is working like we think it can, it's going to be a lot of beating beating one-on-one coverage, beating your guy. Yeah, getting open, getting open in this offense. Uh, well, we've talked about it ad nauseum this offseason. Offensive line, of course, to Stuart Reese, Gene DeLance, both transfers as well. And look, we've said it before; we'll say it again. More suited for a run approach offense. You know, we'll have to see where Reese ends up on the offensive line, center or guard. Uh, played a lot of center in spring. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out, and a lot of uh, players around him. It's probably going to be up to them as well uh, where Stuart Reese ends up. Uh, and, if the, and, and if the run approach helps gene delance and if not can anyone else beat him out that's kind of the question there will you've detailed uh, delance in, in an article at reading reaction uh this offseason you know but you know, these these two transfers here they're, they're going to be a big part of this starting offensive line at least early on in the season i think you know when the season starts i fully expect you know Stuart Reese is going to be on there, and I think he should. I think he's going to have a really good season going back to this style of offense. But, Will, as you detailed in your article, you know more, more of a run approach will probably help Gene DeLance as well. And when Florida lines up, first game of the season, I know Gator fans probably don't want to hear it, probably don't want to see it, but I, I pretty much expect Gene
1: DeLance to be starter at right tackle in game one. I'm not sure what else anybody would expect. I mean, the yeah. guy played guy played just about every game last year. You figure he got that experience. You're going to bring somebody in who's never played right tackle and put him out there and say, "All right, go." Like we're we're gonna start we're gonna completely change our offense completely change what we're doing and also we're gonna change the right tackle and the left tackle that that's an interesting it's an interesting approach I'm not you know I'm not sure that it's the best approach I think when you got a guy with all those starts you hope that he continues to develop continues to get better and and gives you an opportunity you know the the. The hidden part of all the complaining about the Lance is that there's a lot of movement going on that offensive line. A lot of guys who are gone, right? I mean, Brett Hagee's gone, Stone Forsyth is gone. And so what are you gonna do to replace those guys? And so that means that Reese and Delance are absolutely critical. So um, you know, I, I think you can look at the film and see reasons for optimism for both of those guys. I think you can look at the film and see reasons for pessimism. I wouldn't expect them to be all SEC or all American players. If one of them turns into an all American player, then the offensive line is probably going to be really good, but, all you really need is serviceable and you know Florida hasn't had a dominant offensive line in a really long time I'm not expecting them to be dominant this year but the running quarterback does help people out quite a bit um, so yeah these guys are going to contribute they're going to contribute a lot and the other thing is is that Florida's been really fortunate pretty much ever since Dan Mullen came there they've they've been relatively injury free mm-hmm. at least once the season has started at the offensive line position I mean you think about 2018 it was pretty much the same five guys all year long think about 2019 what are the Same thing. Last year they had the injury to Ethan White before the season started, but they were basically set almost all year. Um, That's an unusual thing to happen in the SEC. So even if Delance or Reese end up not starting, the odds just say that at some point they're going to be major contributors because there's going to be an injury or two. And so, you know, anybody, anybody getting down on those guys, I mean, you know, obviously you can see some of the patch protection issues they had last year and, and talk about what he should have been doing. But at the end of the day, these are guys who are going to have to contribute to the team in order for them to be successful.
0: All right, well, let's move to the other side of the ball in defense, and I think we'll start with Brenton Cox there, big-time five-star transfer from Georgia a couple years ago. Started in all 12 games uh, last season, uh, in his first season for the Gators. 41 tackles, 21 of those solo, nine-and-a-half tackles for loss, four sacks. In addition to leading the team in quarterback hurries with 18, excuse me, his nine-and-a-half tackles for loss were tied for first among Gator defenders. So, uh, well, I was looking through the preseason magazines. I was doing some reading on the plane, actually, uh, coming back here. And I was reading, of course, you know, the Athlon's thoughts and Lindy's thoughts of uh, of Florida, diving into that a little bit more. And Athlon says of Cox that he could be a game changer or a head scratcher. I, th- I thought that was uh, pr- pretty interesting there, highlighting that he flashed brilliance, his tackles for loss, but missed countless assignments in run defense, which we all saw. He had trouble setting the edge there consistently for the Gators. But Athlon did list him on their third-team All-SEC. So when they say uh, game-changer or head-scratcher, looks like they're leaning more towards game-changer by <laughs> putting Cox on their third-team All-SEC team all sec Will Lindy's listed Brenton Cox's second team all SEC. So many around the country are expecting big things from Brenton Cox. First off, he has to get healthy. Uh, From off-season foot surgery not long ago, people have seen the images uh, going around on social media. I think he had that about a month, month and a half ago. Uh, was thought to be very minor. Had a little bit of complications. Nothing still too serious. Expected to be ready uh, for for the season. Not sure much how, how much a fall camp he'll get to take part in. Hopefully uh, back sooner rather than later. But he is dealing with a little bit of foot issue. Uh, there did have surgery, recovering uh, there. But uh, that's you know first and foremost, he's got to get healthy. Uh, and, look, we just them to move around a little bit uh, as well, and we'll get into it, but, you know, uh, Antonio Shelton or Valentino, he, has, he likes to go by uh, now, and, and New Kirk coming in along with, you know, to, to help Dexter at defensive tackle. So that allows Cox to really primarily play that buck position for the Gators in 2021 and hopefully become that more consistent threat on the edge in passing and in rushing situations.
1: Yeah. So there are a couple things there is the fact that you said they have him on third team, all SEC is interesting considering that he was the AP all SEC second team last year. So that's almost a step back for him. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned the nine and a half tackles for loss. You've also got three and a half sacks, um, you know, he showed flashes. I think the idea that he was hit or miss is a little bit unfair. I think he was being asked to do things, and uh, you know, the other guy, I think that maybe um, not a transfer, but one of the guys I'm looking to see a lot more from this year's Trey Dean, and and the idea that you take a guy who's designed to be a buck and you put him at defensive end and say go hold the edge. Like that, that's, that's a rough sell for somebody who hasn't been tasked to do that. Right. Essentially the buck is like a hybrid linebacker, pass rusher. The defensive end is a guy who has to hold that edge. And the minute they asked him to, to play that buck position, when, when Kyrie Campbell came back, things really improved. Part of that is Cox getting his feet wet. He hadn't played in an entire year, but I think part of that is also that they had him at the right position. And so, um, you know, especially when Jeremiah Moon went out I think Cox's play got a lot better. Now you know, you look at the highlights and the highlights tended to be against the Vanderbilts of the world and the Kentuckys of the world. you didn't necessarily see those highlights against Georgia and Alabama and that sort of stuff but you know he he really was a force in that Kentucky game and so there were times where you could see him taking over. there were times where you could see him causing major problems it's just a question of consistency, right? I mean, obviously when you look and you look at nine and a half tackles for a loss and three and a half sacks, that's not an entire year. That's, you know, that's one game for Jabari or for Jonathan Gennard. And so, um, you know that 's that 's what you 're looking for, but that 's always what you 're looking for from a sophomore who then you know becomes a junior you 're like you expect fits and starts for younger players you expect them to get more consistent as they become juniors and seniors and so that 's what I think we should expect from cox i, I mean, he 's actually the guy I think who has an opportunity to be an all American yeah I mean you know Kyrie Elam is somebody who 's been named to the preseason second team all American but if you look at floor's roster, say who has the talent and who already has some of the production. To be an All American next year, not just all SEC. I think Brenton Cox is one of those guys who you say, if things go right, if he can stay healthy, if everybody else stays healthy up front to allow him to sit there at the buck position, like he's a guy who could have 10, 11, 12 sacks. And you could be talking about him in the same breath that that Georgia fans do with Jarvis Moss and so, or not Jarvis Jones. Yeah, Jarvis Jones and some of those guys who, who've who well, come no, out yeah. of Grantham systems.
0: Well, and Grantham recently, I mean, Jakob Polite and, and, and Grenard, you know, two. I mean, those are dominant seasons there for those guys in 18 and 19. You can get anywhere near that for Brenton Cox in 2021. And I, I think you're right. You know, he's he's going to be up there for a lot of talk. He, he, he plays like that.
1: Yeah, the difference is, is that those guys got great pressure against teams that were as yep. talented or less talented than Florida and then got completely stonewalled against the Georges of the world. Yep. And Cox has the talent profile to be able to be a real disruptive force Against JT Daniels when Florida's playing Georgia or or against Alabama in Week Three, right? Like there's an opportunity there. You get a couple of turnovers. You hit Alabama's young quarterback in the back, right early, cause a turnover, get a quick touchdown, and you know then you're terrorizing the guy. He starts to hear footsteps, and there's an opportunity, especially in the swamp, where that to me is sort of Florida's path to victory in the Alabama game. Is you flush to the quarterback, you make him feel footsteps, you know you hit him a couple of times. The turnovers cause touchdowns. That Florida's able to convert pretty easily. And then and then from there, the home crowd sort of takes you home. Cox is going to be a huge part of that. And like you mentioned, the guys at defensive tackle, the the two transfers and the Gavron Dexter are going to be a big part of that too. But part of that is going to be They're going to if they can occupy multiple blockers, they're going to allow him to be one on one with defensive ends and or with offensive tackles, and that'll be when he can eat. Because last year, if Cox was having a good game, you just sort of slide the running back over, you slide a guard over to help, and the defensive tackles couldn't really do anything one on one up front. If Gervon Dexter can drive two guys back into the backfield and make sure the quarterback can't step up, then Cox can really eat because he can pin his ears back and come around the corner.
0: There you go. And that's where we will go next. I'm really glad you brought up that defensive tackle position being able to you know, get double team. They're going to have to. If those guys can not command some double teams, that's really going to open up Carter, and it's really going to open up Cox and some of those other pass rushers. Uh, Florida's going to be getting on the field there. So Antonio Valentino, that change from Shelton uh, there, and DeQuan Newkirk. Now this is where the transfers will, you know, brought up talking about transfers and Dan Mullen. We talked about getting transfers to kind of help your team, maybe through, through the – and maybe make maybe make up for a lack of recruiting in some sense. But then there was the other part of it where necessity. And this is where the necessity part comes in because Florida needed some defensive tackle help there this year going into 2021. Losing to Daryl Slayton, losing Kyrie Campbell, guys that you were really counting on last year uh, with Gervon Dexter – Look, Griffin Dexter was the only proven commodity of defensive tackle for the Gators coming in uh, to 2021 before Valentino and, and, and Newkirk come over. So Valentino was listed on Athlon's all-transfer team, Will, and they transferred a transfer to watch for this coming season. Uh, they were saying, quote, the space eater in 40 games at Penn State and recorded 51 tackles, 17 solo, 12 and a half tackles for loss, and six sacks in an interior role. Uh, he joins Newkirk in giving the Gators a key pair of defensive line transfers that strengthen what was a suspect defense in 2020. And then, look, I've said it and I'll say it again, two things here. It allows Zach Carter not to have to play on the interior, and this pair helps Gervin Dexter in ways where he doesn't have to be on the field for so many plays because we just don't know what type of player Lamar Goods, Jalen Humphreys, Jalen Lee, Christopher Thomas, Desmond Watson – I mean, we're already we're we're, talk, we're already talking more about Desmond Watson and what he did in the spring more so than any Goods, Humphreys, Jalen Lee, and those guys have been on campus longer. So you know th- it's time for those guys to step up as well. And I think that's why this staff felt the necessity to have to go get Valentino and Newkirk because we just don't know enough about those other defensive tackle prospects that the Gators have on their rosters right now. So look, I expect some of those guys to get into the rotation, but. These transfers at least allow for continued development of those players and not having to be out there before they're fully ready. And, you know, this staff doesn't have to force those guys out there now because of these two players.
1: I mean, put it this way, man. Dante Lang was playing defensive tackle last year <laughs> so. in that game against Texas a <laughs> you know and
0: That was probably the best example. I'll shut up and that, that, that's <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> well, the only thing I'll say is that, you know, Dexter played last year, but he didn't necessarily – like – you could see the talent, but I think at the same time you could see that there's there was quite a bit of work that needed to be done, and part of that was you know the guy next to him was getting mulled too, and so you know it, having a guy up front who um who allows him not necessarily have to play nose, but to be able to play sort of off of that might be helpful as well. You mentioned not having to have Zachary Carter move inside, but I actually think one of the things that you're going to see this year, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think one of the things you're going to see is a guy like Chris Bogle. If you can put him at defensive end and slide Carter inside and then have Dexter and then have, um, and then have Cox out at the buck when you get a third down and long that not having a guy that basically not having Cox or, or Dexter on the field for first and second down might be a really big deal by having those guys and sort of adding to the depth, right? That, that Dexter showed in high school that he really has a proclivity for getting into the backfield has the ability to really cause havoc on third downs. And so, making sure he's fresh on third downs, being able to bring Carter in on the interior, and then being able to bring Bogle and Cox from the outside. I, I think they're going to be able to do some really interesting things based on Gervon Dexter's skill set. And so um, being able to keep him clean, being able to keep him fresh, being able to keep him healthy throughout the season, I think is going to be a big key. And these two transfers, um, you know, Valentini and, or Valentino and Newkirk, are really going to be key to that. So whether or not – They're just space eaters or whether or not they're difference makers. Obviously, if they're difference makers, that's great. But just being able to occupy two guys, being able to make sure that Dexter, Bogle, Carter, and Cox aren't getting occupied, and then keeping the linebackers clean as well. Because guys like Diabate, Hopper, Wingo, those guys are fast, but they're also relatively small compared to guys like Ventral Miller. but. If you want your fastest guys out there, the only way you can have them out there is if they're not getting mauled by guards who are pulling around. And so part of that is having a defensive tackle who can who can take on a double team. And part of that is having a defensive tackle who can drive the center back into the quarterback back and disrupt the running play, right? Where the pulling guard can't come around because the center's already been knocked back. So those are sort of the things I think that we're looking for from, from Newkirk and Shelton. Um, some of the things we're also looking for from Gravon Dexter. But uh, yeah, I mean, the the number of proven guys at defensive tackle were relatively minimal so having a couple of proven guys come in obviously a big deal
0: yep and one guy that those guys can help and i think he'll be on the field a whole lot this fall DeWan one black finally on campus for the gators and look i put a video out there when uh, he tweeted about probably about a month ago three weeks about three weeks ago or so uh you know basically tweeted his position it was gonna be nickel and then he followed that up with money linebacker. And that's kind of going to Will's spot there of money linebacker, maybe a linebacker on third down. And you have those two transfers or Gervin Dexter up front. And, you know, it keeps the player like one Black, who is basically the same size as Ventrell Miller. But as we know, can at least for, through a recruiting profile, a Lot more athletic as I said. You can play that nickel role, you can play that linebacker role. Florida's trying to get a whole lot of speed, a whole lot of athleticism, a lot a lot of athleticism on the field to one black. Basically, listing when he listed out there, uh, two positions that he'll play. So it'd be interesting to see down in distance and where, he, where he'll be in certain situations. Uh, but most of it, you know, I think you, you say money linebacker for him is to chase down running backs, is to keep up in coverage. Uh, for guys that uh, are very athletic on the offensive side, you have a guy who's equally as athletic on the defensive side. Um, the one black will, I mean, that's his one guy who. Gator Nation's been waiting for for a couple years, just because of the recruiting profile. Former five star at one time had to go to JUCO route. Has a really good story of dedication and and putting in the work in to to finally get to Florida, and hopefully will finally be on the field for the Gators this fall.
1: Yeah. All I know is I saw the picture of him after they ran stadiums and he looked like (laughs) he looked like the happiest guy on the team and everybody else looked like they were dying. And I went, yes, I like that guy. Like, (laughs) like I want that guy out there fighting with my team. So um, obviously you mentioned his story. It's a great story that he's coming to Florida, but again, one of those guys who's unproven and considering all of the talent at linebacker that Florida's brought in over the last couple of years, we haven't necessarily seen it on the field all that much yet, but those guys are all getting a spring practice as well. So, you know, Um, Black's going to have to fight for his time. You know, they they put him in and chase down the running backs. That's all well and good. But the other guys are going to be tasked to do that as well. I think, again, it comes back to depth, right? And this was one of the things I think that last year Florida really struggled with. When somebody screwed up, there wasn't anybody else to bring in. And competition at different spots is important for everybody to get better, especially throughout the season. So you may not see Black like the first week in the season. He may be behind guys like Ventral, Miller, Diabate, and even Wingo and, and Hopper, but I do expect that as the season moves along, you're going to see him out there more and more. And then the other thing is is and I harp on this all the time, is special teams, right? Having guys out there who are fast and who have the ability to sort of come around the edge and, and make a difference when it comes to being able to get in there and block a punt, block an extra kick, block an extra an extra point those sorts of things are just they're game-changing plays that florida really hasn't had in a little while so the more athletic players you can get out there the more competition you can have obviously the better
0: yep and going there i'll say competition again for jadarius perkins coming in at quarterback will transfer from missouri transferred to missouri from same community college uh the black did went through spring practice as missouri And ends up at Florida when the transfer portal opens up. So uh, when the one-time transfer rule opens up. So it took place, took part in uh, Missouri spring practice, but he's going to play for the Florida Gators in the fall. Makes sense to transfer portal while you want to. We'll, 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 we'll try and get used to it. But this is—I wouldn't uh, want to
1: play at Missouri either. So. <laughs>
0: exactly. So the thing is, you know, competition and now position for him. You know, does he fit in in that second cornerback role opposite Kyrie Elam? Does he fit in above a Jason Marshall or Jaden Hill uh, from last year? Or do they see his role at nickel? You know, splitting a little bit of time with maybe the one black when the one black. Has to shift over to maybe play linebacker or has to come off the field uh, a bit. Perkins is one of those uh, interesting. Look, Florida lost some DBs through the transfer portal, uh, you know, after last season, so they need to fill numbers up there. I think they want a certain number of uh, prospects back there, and you went and got uh, Perkins there from from Missouri. Uh, Will say so it's going to be interesting to see. You know, the, you you spoke competition there. This is what Florida needs after what we saw last year in twenty twenty back there in that defensive backfield.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure Florida lost anybody who really contributed all that much last year if to the transfer portal at least, right? right? I mean, they lost Kim- a lot of guys Kim- to graduate. Kimbrough played a little bit. And that was really uh, a little bit, but that's really, you know, nothing that was substantial. Certainly they didn't go, Oh, we're gonna bring in Kimbrough for three series because Marco Wilson screwed up. It was it was well, nothing else work was working. Let's bring in Kimbro and see how things see how things operate. So I I you know. I look at it and I say, yeah, there's a lot of attrition, and certainly you don't want your recruiting classes turning over and all that sort of stuff. At the same time, the guys who have left were not necessarily pressing for playing time, at least last year. Maybe they would have if they'd had another year, but, uh, but you know, again, that sort of comes back to bringing in a guy like Perkins and potentially you mentioned Blades earlier. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know where he fits. I, I think at the end of the day, though, he does sort of fit the profile of – the things that Florida has tried to do with 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 guys like Amari Bernie and Trey Dean and having guys who are Swiss army knifey guys that you can move around to one black, you're sorta, of, you know him at star but then him at linebacker those are sort of you know they're not interchangeable parts i mean those are very different positions depending upon what what plays being run and what you have to do and so having guys who can do multiple things cover multiple spots has sort of been the MO of Todd Grantham and and Dan Mullen since he's come to Florida so i think that's kind of what what they're looking for right is that Um, You know, Perkins may slide inside and allow Marshall to stay out. He may stay outside and allow Marshall to slide inside. Um, But it's competition, and that's the reality is that, you know, they, they clearly felt like they had a need out there. Um, and we're able to fill that need with Perkins, but I don't know what that means. I don't know whether that's because they decided that they needed more athleticism at the star or whether it's because Marshall wasn't developing as fast as they thought or, or what we won't know until kickoff, right? Because spring practice, I'm assuming is going to be mostly closed this year. And we certainly didn't see very much of the spring. So, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those glass half full, glass half empty type of things. Depending upon how you feel about the defensive development, depending upon how you feel about guys who are sort of interchangeable, makes you it, it sort of colors the way you think about Perkins coming in as a transfer. Right.
0: One more, will I think a lot of the, the kind of forgotten transfer. <laughs> They're in uh, um, uh, Chrisman, there, the kicker from Mississippi State, and he, he announced uh, a Jace, Jace Chrisman. Uh, announced that he he was going to transfer to Florida from Mississippi State, and he's going to be the kicker uh, or be in that kicking competition for the Gators. Look, the kicking competition in the spring uh, did not go too well for the Gators uh, there. So I think uh, they'll be uh, replacing Evan McPherson. They'll be looking for the leg there. And look, he was recruited by Dan Mullen in 2016. Chrisman was one of the, um, this was from his Mississippi State bio, uh, was one of the most prolific kickers in Mississippi State school history during his career with the Bulldogs, finishing four year career tied for fourth in school history and scoring with 219 points. He is the school record holder for points by a kicker. PATs made with 123. Consecutive PATs converted in 95 and is tied for field goal percentage at 80%. Um, In this past season, uh, he appeared in two games for the Bulldogs. Crispin accounted for making five out of five extra points. He did not attempt a field goal for the Bulldogs in 2020 season. He was the team's kicker for three seasons, Will, before the Bulldogs landed Arizona State transfer Brandon Ruiz, and Ruiz earned the starting job this past year. So weird that he – has all those stats for Mississippi State, very good stats from Mississippi State. For whatever reason, Mike Leach did not see him as the kicker uh, most for, you know, in 2020. Decided to go with a Arizona State transfer, so he transfers to – Chrisman. now transfers to Florida for 2021. So uh, a weird story here uh, of having a lot of success at Mississippi State, losing his job somehow, and then now ends up at Florida.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I'm not sure that Florida fans appreciate what they had with Evan McPherson considering that, you know, we had Pinero and it's been a little while since Florida struggled in either the punting or the or the place-kicking arena. But, you know, it's not too long to go back and remember Austin Harden and sort of the, well, the kick against Vanderbilt that none of us thought was going in and then happened to actually go through, and we were all, all pleased about that. So certainly I think Chrisman is a significant addition, especially if he ends up winning the job. And the other thing is, is that because you have large enough rosters, when you bring these guys in, you know Alabama did this for years, where they have like a separate guy kicking field goals, and then they have a guy actually doing kickoffs. So even just a guy with a strong leg can be an asset if you've got somebody who can put it in the end zone or who can get enough height on the kick to sort of drop it in at the one or the two and force the other team to return it. And that's changed a little bit with the ability to call a fair catch and just get it out to the twenty-five, but uh, but that's also part of it as well. So yeah, I mean it, it's going to be competition. There's going to be multiple guys and they're vying for it, but Mullen clearly knows Chrisman, and so you would expect that if he brought him in, he sort of knows what he's getting and and knows whether the guy's going to be able to win the job or not.
0: Yeah, maybe he'll be as good as McPherson, but maybe a little better in the clutch. <laughs> that was probably the, the the big detriment there for, for, for McPherson. Mostly uh, mostly could just be counted on, but uh, I think the last thing impressions the LSU game for a lot of people there for, uh, uh, for, for McPherson, but uh, it was you know, one of the, one of the better kickers in the country. His whole career at Florida, and as you said, will kind of continued that lineage uh, for Florida through Sturgis and Pinero and then McPherson. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. There, the spring was uh, not too pretty, from what I heard, uh, in, in the kicking department for the Gators. So probably will be a welcome welcome sight there when he gets on uh, campus for the Gators. So all right, well there we go. All of all, all those big time transfers there uh, for the Gators that would definitely play major roles in 2021. We might have another with Elijah Blades. Who knows? As I said earlier in the episode, most people thought it was done or would be done by now. We'll see where that goes. If he does, um, we'll we'll, we'll talk about it here on the podcast. But uh, maybe one more to add to the fold, Will.
1: Yeah, I mean, hey, the more the merrier at this point. What do I know, right? Yeah. I keep I keep looking at it, thinking at some point there's going to be a consequence for bringing in all these transfers, just because at, at some point you're going to run out, you're going to miss a few, just like you know you miss a few at high school. Maybe you miss them at a lower rate, but you would figure that at some point you're just going to have even Missouri, right? I mean, I don't know how that works. Did Missouri end up having to count? um jadarius perkins in mm. terms of their scholarships and their counters and all that sort of stuff like things get kind of screwy at that point in terms of in terms of the logistics and how you manage the roster i mean i'm sure dan mullen knows more about roster management than i do but at the same time um you know you mentioned a lot of guys who've come in which means that's high school recruits who haven't been there and you know i i am wary of the fact that i think that at some point that may come and catch up that there may be a da- a Uh, not a terrible year, but a down year where there's a boatload of injuries and just no depth to help out. Um, but at the same time, you know, like you said, there's sort of a new world of college football. There's always going to be the ability, I think, to go out. I, I was, I think Josh Pate maybe yesterday said something about, you know, like 25% or something of the guys who are in the transfer portal, who went into the transfer portal, are, are still available. Like they're just the game of musical chairs has sort of stopped and there's nowhere for people to sit down. Mm-hmm. So that does suggest you're going to be able to sort of take your pick of the guys in the transfer portal if you're a high level program. And it's not always going to be a fight that there will be. Guys who are available. So um we'll see. It's gonna prove out, right? I mean, obviously, I think we've talked about how important we think recruiting is. Um uh- recruiting transfers is now becoming a big, important part of the program. And certainly, you know, you could knock Mullen for how he's recruited at the high school level, but I'm not sure you could say anything negative about what he's done at the transfer level thus far. Everybody he's brought in has been a contributor. And that's really what you're looking for when you bring in a recruit, is you're looking for somebody who's going to be a contributor. And if you can hit that at, you know, a 70 80 90% clip, it may be that just mining the transfer portal is a better way to build a program than going through high school because your hit rate's so high
0: yep 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 all right well that'll do it for this episode i uh, wish you guys got going over there at reading reaction
1: yeah so we have some stuff up on the youtube channel go ahead and check it out over there another one of our stand up and holler episodes went up yesterday um so that's that's been kind of fun to get that up there i think this is episode eight and then uh and then nick and and nick and another guy have started something called the the research room that uh you know is is sort of looks at different things there's one up there about demarcus bowman there's one up there about a couple of uh a couple of transfers so or the the transfers of defensive tackles so those are kind of cool too so give it give those a give those a check let me know what you think and then hopefully we're gonna get back to writing this week there's been between Mm -hmm. my son's baseball and having COVID a few months ago and still sort of falling asleep all the time and getting stuff up on the youtube channel it's been it's been a rough go to get all the writing done but uh i've got i a bunch of things in the hopper hopefully those will be coming the next week or two
0: sounds good sounds good that's will miles you can find him at readingreaction.com and on twitter at will miles sec that'll do it for this episode of gators breakdown i'm your host david waters you can find me on twitter at GatorDave underscore sec guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of gators breakdown